Thank you. Good morning. Happy Sunday, first Sunday in the new year. Feliz Dias de los Tres Reyes, for those of you that celebrate Three Kings Day. I refer to this as the what now season. You know, it's kind of like the Christmas tree had to go out yesterday because the needles were falling off. Um, the bustle and hustle of the holidays is thankfully over. And hopefully... Some of your New Year's resolutions are still intact. Anybody still have New Year's resolutions that are intact? <laughs> so today I've been asked to talk about a way in which Jesus has been real to me in my everyday life. And uh, Jesus wonderfully provided that opportunity. So I'd like to share that with you. During Advent, we explored the themes of hope, joy, love, and peace and I just thought it was so awesome the way we had our Advent wreath this year, that we were actually physically part of that wreath, that our community formed that wreath that anticipates the coming of Jesus into our world. And um, it was a great idea. I really enjoyed it. I was very inspired by it. And I hope you enjoyed it too. As I began to prepare for the Advent season, Jesus began to speak to me about peace specifically about becoming a person who lives in peace. I want to share with you today from the Gospel of John. We'll be reading several verses from chapter 14. <clears throat> when I first began to follow Jesus, someone recommended that I read the Gospel of John. It's a little unusual for a new believer because usually they send you to Mark, which is that Jesus did this and Jesus did that. It's the, they call it the go-go gospel. Um, or Luke, where we have the the Sermon on the Mount, um, so many of the teachings of Jesus, the parables of Jesus are found in Luke. But I love the Gospel of John. It is my favorite gospel. It's my go-to one. John really focuses on the divine nature of Jesus. He had a very unique sense of the divine nature of Jesus. And he also recorded a lot of Jesus's relationship with his disciples. The 13th through the 16th chapter of John is all about the Last Supper, that night when Jesus realized that he was going to the cross and all that was going to happen to his disciples and how radically their life was going to change. And these three chapters detail that, um, his preparation for them and also his foreshadowing of the church to come. So I'm going to begin reading in John chapter 14, 1 through 12. Do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. My father's house has many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I'm going to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me that you also may be where I am. You know the way to the place I'm going. Thomas said, Lord, we don't know where you're going, so how can we know the way? Jesus answered, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you really know me, you will know my Father as well. From now on, you do know him, and you have seen him. Philip said, Lord, show us the Father, and that'll be enough for us. Jesus answered, don't you know me, Philip, even after I have been with you for so long? Anyone who has seen the Father 
has seen me. Anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Don't you believe that I am in the Father and that the Father is in me? The words I say to you are not of my own authority. Rather, it is the Father living in me who is doing his work. Believe me when I say that I am in the Father and the Father is in me, or at least believe on the evidence of the works themselves. Down to John 14, 15 through 21. If you love me, you will keep my commands, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever, the spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him, for he lives in you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Before long, the world will see me, will not see me anymore, but you will see me. Because I live, you also will live. On that day, you will realize that I am in the Father, and you are in me, and I am in you. Whoever has my commands and keeps them is the one who loves me. The one who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I too will love them and show myself to them. And then towards the end of the chapter, Jesus says, all of this I have spoken while I am with you. But the Advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I have said to you. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. So I haven't started any major wars. I don't advocate violent overthrow of the government. So why would Jesus ask me to press into becoming peaceful? I'm not really an unpeaceful person in some definitions. What does the peace of Jesus look like? How is it different from the world and how do we get it? So in 1991, I had an extremely powerful encounter with God's peace. I was out in my backyard and my mom came over. My mom lived next door to me. And she says, do my eyes look funny to you? And as I looked into her eyes and realized that her eyes were jaundiced, yellow, that something was seriously wrong with her liver and her digestive system. So I said to her, mom, you need, you need to go to the hospital. You need to be seen. So she and my dad get in the car and they pull out of the driveway. And at that moment, I knew something had shifted. And I just felt the profound presence of the Holy Spirit. I didn't know what had happened or why. That wasn't important at the time. I simply knew that something profound had happened and God was with me. A few weeks later, we found out this would be my mom's final illness. She had pancreatic cancer, and back in 1991, there were not many treatment options. Um, they offered her the ability to keep her comfortable, but not really that there would be a cure. During that time, my mom had always been a really fearful person, and I saw God transform her. She had such, such a peace about her just the way she faced this illness, the way we were able to talk about things, I was amazed. She eventually fully trusted Jesus to sustain her through this, and a few months later, she died at home in our arms. Now, I had always been terrified of death, 
which is weird for a nurse, right? But I always was. But I began to see how Jesus prepared my mom for death. And I would sit by her bedside and I would just sense that the boundary between heaven and earth was not this solid line. Jesus was preparing her. One day I'm sitting by her bed, she's asleep, and I'm cross-stitching or something, and she looks up and she goes, did you touch me? And I was like, no, because the way she said it, someone had touched her, and there was nobody in the room but her and I. So she says, oh, and now at this point the hair's standing up on the back of my neck, right? And she goes, oh, it must have been the angel. <laughs> I was like, yeah? She goes, yeah, I was asleep, and I had this terrible pain and this angel touched me, and my pain's gone. And I was just like, wow. And that really sustained me through the whole loss of my mom. She was 67. It was a really hard time in my life to lose her. But as I thought about what God did, both for her and for me during that time, it was, it was tremendously sustaining. So I should be like the peace guru, right? I mean, I had this fantastic experience and I should just be zoning. <laughs> well, I could handle the big stuff, but if I got stuck in traffic or my hair dryer broke, <laughs> I did not have peace. I really, really struggled with anger. And what Jesus said to me back at the beginning of Advent is anger kills peace. Anger kills peace. To get peace, I had to deal with the anger in my life. Indeed, one of the definitions of peace is being free from disturbance, not ruffled. I was ruffled all the time. I was tied up in knots about silly things. But I just couldn't let go of it. Several years ago, I let the stress of life tie me up into not so much that one day at work, I snapped at a coworker of mine and a very dear friend in the nurse's station in front of all of our coworkers. I embarrassed her. I, there was no reason for me to snap at her. Fortunately, she came up to my office a few minutes later and said, what is going on with you? Why, you embarrassed me? I feel like I can't even go back to the nurse's station and what is wrong with you? My first instinct was to defend myself. But again, that, that advocate, the Holy Spirit, sort of dove through all of that and said, wait a minute, think about what you did. Listen to her. I'm so glad I did because I really began to realize that that act of just snapping at her was violent. It was a violent act. I had harmed her as much as if I had physically harmed her. So I asked her forgiveness and I signed up for an anger management program which was really helpful. A few months later, she came up and hugged me at work, and she said, it's so nice to have the old you back. That was really a blessing. However, this past year, I began to realize that self-help programs and techniques have their limits. I was back to being tied up in knots. I didn't have much tranquility at all. I don't know if some of you remember back in September, Brad talked to us about having tranquility in our life, and I literally wrote in my notes, uh, not me. Do not have that tranquility. <laughs> the Holy Spirit reminded me that I often stress over details, and I add unnecessary tension to situations. 
as we were preparing for the holidays, I was thinking about, oh, you know, the holidays, we've got to, it's got to be perfect, right? It's got to be perfect. So when our family gets together, it's 10 adults, seven grandchildren, six of whom are less than seven. You can plan all you want. It's not going to go the way you want it to. So God began to show me what I was missing by being so obsessed over these details and then getting all wound up about it. The Holy Spirit showed me that I had to reset my concept of peace from being an absence of conflict to being a mindset of living and being in Christ. I needed to address the root causes of why I was primed for conflict that kept me from walking fully in the peace of Christ. I couldn't self-help this. I needed to depend on Jesus. So what is it? So today I want to talk a little bit about the peace of Jesus offers is life-changing. That peace can only come from Jesus, and the peace of Jesus can be ours. The peace that Jesus offers is life-changing. Again, in John 14, 1, he begins by saying, Do not let your heart be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. Now, Jesus is telling this to his disciples, not to be troubled or ruffled by the current and coming events. Those current and coming events were the arrest of Jesus, the crucifixion of Jesus, the burial of Jesus, and all of the things that would go on around them. He had already been talking to them about that, so he knew they were troubled. But he takes this time to prepare them for what is coming. He doesn't say, don't worry, it's all good. Don't worry, be happy. He knows the world's going to be turned upside down. It's going to be frightening and uncertain. Yet Jesus tells them not to worry. In John 14, 27, he again closes his, this part of his discussion with them by saying, peace I leave with you, my peace I give you. I do not give as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled. Do not be afraid. Now, the peace I leave you was a customary um, way of saying goodbye in the Middle East. At that time, probably still is in many places. Kind of like our, you know, peace out. <laughs> um, but that's not what Jesus is saying. And he goes on to say, I am not offering you what the world offers you. I'm offering you something life-changing. More than anything in the world that Jesus can give us. Jesus had tranquility. Jesus had peace, even as he was facing the cross. That boggles my mind. I can't imagine facing anything as horrific as what Jesus was facing, unjustly facing, and yet he had peace about it. What can do that? Now, when I was facing my mom's illness, I did have a life-changing peace. It was a gift I didn't fully understand. I didn't really know how to apply it to the rest of my life. And when John is talking to Thomas and Philip, and Philip says to him, Lord, show us the Father, and it's enough for him. And Jesus says to him, have I been with you, been so long with you, and yet you have not come to know me, Philip? And that just struck me. I was like Philip. I had been with Jesus for a long time. I had seen his works, yet I had not come to fully know him and all that he could bring me. And when I say a long time, 
I gave my life, really dedicated my life to following Jesus in 1971, which was before probably anybody here was born. No, it's a long time. So it's a lifelong journey with Jesus, right? So the life-changing piece I had known, I had to go beyond. I had to get past techniques and into really changing the core mindset that, excuse me, that I had a piece. So this peace can only come from Jesus. What is this peace and why do I want it? What is peace that passes understanding? Does it mean I just become oblivious or immune to everything around me? Jesus knew we would have troubles. We have troubles, right? Scripture tells us that. We will have troubles. It doesn't make the troubles go away. It's how we deal with them. When I began to explore with the Holy Spirit the source of my troubles, why these little things bothered me, I began to understand that I often react out of fear. I think fear is another thing that often leads to anger, and that kills peace. The fear for me came from worrying that I wasn't meeting others' expectations and that I was inferior. I was just never quite good enough. When I first moved to Boston, I had no friends in the city. I moved up there just to take a job and sort of get away from the rest of my life. And uh, I, I didn't really know anybody. So I joined the church choir. I loved to sing. I thought it'd be a great way to meet new people. But I was so anxious about fitting into this new group of people, I was really a pain. I don't know how they put up with me. So it, one day I was late for practice because the, the tea had been delayed. The tea is there like subway. And I walk in, and they're in the middle of practicing this beautiful song, and I'm like, oh, the train, the you know, like I felt like I had to make excuses for why I wasn't there on time or why I wasn't meeting expectations. Fortunately, the choir director, who ended up being my pastor and an extremely good friend, understood. She began to see my, what my anxiety was related to, and she really began to shepherd me and help me understand that ultimately I was not fully believing that Jesus loved me. I would happily tell you that Jesus loves you as you are. Jesus loves you as you are. But in my heart, I always felt there was one exception, and I felt like I was that exception. And to me, troubles or, or things getting in my way were cosmic confirmation that I was the odd one out. So how would the peace of Jesus help that? Well, again, going back to John 1, do not be troubled, believe in God, believe also in me. I wasn't believing. I wasn't fully believing that Jesus loved me as I was. And that was the chip that I had to get off my shoulder. As I was <clears throat> studying this passage, Jesus talks about, again, in his father's house, there's many rooms. Some translations use the word dwelling places. It's a place where we're going to go and we're going to live. And there's many of them. There's one for everybody. So we're not going to be like one big mass. We're going to still be the individuals that Jesus loves and dies for. Jesus is going to prepare a place for us to come and live with him. He calls us as individuals. He prepares a place for you and me. There's many rooms, and there's no exceptions. John 14, 15 to 21 talks about the relationships in that dwelling place. There's a lot in there about 
I am in the Father, and the Father's in me, and I'm in you, and you in the Father. You know, if you try to diagram that out, you're like, wow. Why? Because it's a, it's a divine relationship. It's the Trinity. It's a divine relationship. We're invited into that divine relationship. The dwelling place that Jesus is preparing for us is one full of the power and love of the living God. Jesus says that because I live, you also will live. On that day, you will realize I am in my Father, and you are in me, and I am in you. Jesus wants us to move in with him and his Father. He wants that next step in the relationship. You know, you watch those home shows, and it's like, well, this couple's ready to take the next step in the relationship. They're going to move in together. Jesus says, okay, take the next step. Move in with me. There are no exceptions. The peace he offers is not a technique or a state of mind. It's a relationship. The relationship is with the living God. Now, you know, when you have a friend that meets that special someone, right, they come in and they're like, the copier's not working. The bus was late. Why? They're on cloud nine. Why? Why? They have that special glow, the feeling of belonging to someone, being loved for who you are, is powerful, so powerful. All is right with the world, makes you feel special, gives that sense of contentment. The power of love. Our literature is full of stories about people who have been inspired to do great and amazing things because they were loved. How much more do we have available to us? The creator of the universe loves you. The living God loves you. We're invited into the most powerful love relationship ever. The Father sent the Son to die on the cross to create the opportunity for us to believe and be with him. The Holy Spirit acts as our advocate and guides us to that dwelling where we would live in that powerful love. So Jesus is inviting you and I to come live with him because he loves us, all of us. You're special to Jesus. I'm special to Jesus. That is the surety of knowing who we are and whom we belong to. We are his beloved. We all can have that special glow. When I dwell in that relationship, I look at the world differently. And this is not easy. But my troubles aren't trivial. But they are not a cosmic reminder of how inconsequential I am. They're just part of living in our fallen world, right? Bus is late. It's late for everybody. Um, don't mean to pick on the bus, Eric. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> the peace of Jesus can be ours. So how can we have this peace? So there I was sitting in my living room, realizing God had given me this, this insight. And it was like, how do I get from being tied up in this little tight ball to really walking in peace? So Jesus gives us a few um, uh, suggestions in this, or commands, really, in this um, passage. The first is believe in Jesus. It sounds simple. However, for me, this was my big challenge, right? So during the Advent season, I reformed a habit of having a daily devotional. And guess what? There's an app for that. 
and actually inspired by someone in this church, uh, the little um, interviews that um, Brad has done with different members of the church, and I apologize, I can't remember the name of who it was, but someone mentioned that they had a daily devotional. And I thought, there's an app? Wow. So I found an app that really speaks to me, and it's really nice because every morning I get a little reminder that I need to have my little time of prayer. And it's the opportunity for really for me to um, be reminded of the truth that, that's God, that God has provided for me. It's a regular habit that I've made of affirming my belief in God. And I believe that if we regularly affirm our belief in God and continue that lifelong learning about our amazing Savior, we can reap benefits from that. Ask in his name. Um, John 14, 13 through 14 is that verse you've probably heard quoted many times. And I will do whatever you ask in my name so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. You may ask for anything in my name and I will do it. Well, Jesus desires us to live in peace, right? It's part of what he came for. So one day I was aggravated, again on the bus, sorry, because a young girl had taken up two seats. Now it's 8.30 in the morning, there's people standing, and she's doing her homework, and she's all spread out, and I'm just sitting back there going, who does she think she is? And I get this little, not tap on the shoulder, but sort of a little tap in my brain with the Holy Spirit going, um, you're kind of tied up in knots again. I'm like, oh, okay. So I was like, all right, what do you want me to do, Lord? And I felt like the Lord said, pray for her. So I began praying for her. And I must say, the entire rest of my bus ride was much more enjoyable because as I began to pray, and I didn't know this person, but as I began to pray, God began to show me what are some of the challenges of a high school girl living in Philadelphia. That was an easy list to come up with. And I was able to pray for her. And so when I get off the bus, I'm not like, people. I'm really praying about the people I ride the bus with, right? I faced the ultimate test yesterday. I bought a piece of furniture from Ikea. Ikea. I took it home, and I went to put it together. And I will tell you, yes, I prayed, and I asked for God's peace while I put that piece of furniture together. Because I always, and I did this yesterday, find the one piece that I put backwards, and I have to go take everything out. And, but it was okay. Thank you, Lord. So pray daily for help facing the things that might ruffle you might be a coworker. It might be you have a car that has a tendency to break down in odd places. There's a lot of different things, I think, that can ruffle us. And ask, ask the Holy Spirit to help you with those. Know the Holy Spirit. So God has given us this advocate, the spirit of truth, which is his own spirit. And I love the verse where it talks about how the Holy Spirit will teach you and remind you of everything. And that's really what the Holy Spirit does for me. So earlier this week, I was trying to navigate. On New Year's Eve, I had to pick up uh, 60 trash boxes to put out for the New Year's Day mummer strut on 2 Street. I live in South Philly, right off 2 Street. If any of you have not ever been to South Philly, New Year's Eve or New Year's Day, parking and traffic are epic. In order to do this, I had to leave my precious parking spot and navigate through the streets, which are full of like vans, loading equipment and stuff, and go get these boxes. So while I was driving over there, felt again, the Holy Spirit saying, I had a death grip on the steering wheel. It's like, you're tied up in knots again. Okay. So I just found a spot, wasn't 
what I thought particularly close, but I found the spot, I pulled in, and I just sort of like, okay, I'm just gonna go and see what happens. When I arrived at the end of the block where I needed to go to pick these things up, again, I wasn't tied up in knots. And I had a wonderful time. I met people in my neighborhood I'd never met before. You know, we were talking, we were hanging out, and then all the guys were like, hey, let's help you. And next thing I know, they carry all the stuff all the way down the street and load it in my car. Again, had up, if I had showed up going, that parking's terrible, that traffic's everybody knows that, right? It wouldn't have added anything, and I would have missed a valuable opportunity to get to know some people in my neighborhood. And that's what I mean by it being life-changing, by it being life-giving rather than life-taking. So ask the Holy Spirit to remind you of God's love for you. Ask for wisdom and calm in frustrating or difficult situations. Now, I realize a lot of the situations I shared are pretty trivial. And sometimes we face really hard things, really hard things. So I think another thing that is really helpful is encouragement. I have gained encouragement from people in this congregation who have shared things they've gone through. And I've been challenged and encouraged by their faith and by the grace that God has given them. Thanksgiving uh, night, I actually got an um, email from a very dear friend of mine who started out her email by saying, I just want to give praise and gratitude to God's grace and God's presence with me while I'm battling stage 3 colon cancer. And I just kind of went, oh. But as I read the rest of her email, and she just talked about how God, she said, I, I can't explain it. God is just holding me. I'm just in this place. God has led me be beside those green pastures, and that's, that's where I am. She ended her um, email by saying she is too blessed to be stressed. And it, it just it was amazing to me. She still has stage 3 colon cancer. She's still going through chemo. It's... It's not fun. She has talked about that. But ultimately, she knows to whom she belongs to. She knows who is caring for her. And that has given her tremendous strength and sustenance. So sharing how God has sustained you with others can encourage others' faith as well as your own. Ask others to pray for you. Ask the Holy Spirit to encourage you and guide you. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give you, not as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled. Do not be afraid. Jesus loves us and offers us life-changing peace. He wants, to, he wants us to live with him in peace, and that peace is found only to him. I pray these words today have been an encouragement to you. Peace be with you.